have your Bibles, we're continuing our study in the book James, James chapter 1, beginning with the second verse. And we'll also be looking at several passages in Hebrews, which is the book just to the left of James. Max Licato tells the story in the eye of the storm of Chippy, a parakeet. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was perfectly perched in his cage. The next he was being sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owners decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang, and before she knew it, slurp, Chippy was inside the vacuum cleaner. She immediately hung up the phone and gasped and took the vacuum cleaner and found Chippy inside the bag. He was alive but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom and began to wash him down with cold water. But then realizing that Chippy was completely soaked and shivering, she immediately grabbed the blow dryer and began to blow dry Chippy with high heat. Poor Chippy, he never knew what hit him. And still days later, after the trauma, when asked about Chippy, she said, well, he seems to be physically okay, but he doesn't actually talk or sing anymore. He just sits and stares. Maybe you feel like Chippy. You've been sucked in, washed up, and blown over. Well, James speaks directly to those who feel like they have been sucked in, washed over, and blown over. Verse 2, James chapter 1, the Bible tells us, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives it generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. What about it? Today the title of this sermon is, Why God? I would say that that's a phrase that's been expressed by nearly every person in this room, if not verbally, at least mentally. Even those who don't know Christ and don't call Him Lord often will use that expression, will shout forth those words, Why, God? Howard Hendricks, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, tells the story of a neighbor he had who considered himself an agnostic and who always took every opportunity he could to kind of poke at Howard's faith all the while assuring him that there probably was no God, and if there was one, he was long gone from this universe. That did Howard no good to pray and to seek his heart, to spend his time reading Scripture and studying. And here is Howard Hendricks, a professor. But Howard tells the story of how one night he heard a large boom, and he got out of bed and he ran over and he noticed that his neighbor's house was on fire. He immediately went toward 
the house and help the last child get out of the house. But they were able to save nothing. And he noticed his neighbor, the agnostic neighbor, was over pounding his fist on the ground, cursing God and saying, Why, God? Why, God? Even the most hardened agnostic, when it comes time of great tragedy, will often utter those words, Why? Why, God, have You let this happen? Why have You caused this to happen? Why have You stood by and seemingly done nothing? Why, God? And can I tell you that Scriptures never promises us a surface answer that will immediately or even understandably answer that basic question that will relieve all our pain and give us the perfect reason that will enable us to allow the pain to go away. The real truth of it is, if we understood everything, it still wouldn't erase most of our pain when there's significant trials. But there are principles of Scripture, and there is wisdom and knowledge and understanding that God gives through His Word to help us understand what can occur through the process of trials. What He longs to see happen in our lives. And let me give you this axiom Many of you know I worked with Tommy Nelson for a little while, and he had a couple of axioms that always stuck with me. And one is this. God is not always pleased with what occurs in life, but He is never perplexed. God is not always pleased with what occurs in your life, but He is never perplexed. And I take comfort in that. And I take comfort in understanding that the inevitability of trials that come to us can have purpose as the Scripture so defines. Let me give you some. Number one, the testing of our faith produces mature godly character as we just read in James chapter 1 verse 2 through 4. In Philippians 1.29 The Bible tells us, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him, which is number two. Trials help us to identify with the person of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, flip over one book with me, just maybe one or two pages to your left in Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible tells us that suffering is proof that we are God's children and suffering helps us to become holy and godly. Read with me in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with the seventh verse. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone goes through discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. 
No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it, corrected by it, made righteous by it. I'm not suggesting that every event and every occurrence is God's discipline. Because sometimes, as we see in God's Word in Galatians chapter 6, that suffering is brought upon us through our actions, through our choices. Be not mocked, or God is not mocked. When man sows to the flesh, he reaps corruption. We reap what we sow. But we know this. Sometimes when trials come, and trials will come, they're inevitable. That's why He says when trials come, God desires to use them in our lives. Suffering is proof that we are God's children. Suffering works to conform us into the image of Christ. Suffering produces righteousness and peace. And suffering can lead us to godliness as it did Moses. Look to your left. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Suffering can lead us to godliness. And then one last passage. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, then 2 Corinthians. And this is a verse you ought to underline with your red pencil. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. For the believer, this is a hallmark verse, a hallmark passage that would be relevant to you today, if not today, I assure you, in the future. Verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise be to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Verse 4, let me read it again. Consider this. Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comforts we ourselves have received from God? One of the things that God desires to do with our pain, with our trials, with our difficulties in life, is to use that experience, to use that pain, to encourage, to comfort and to glorify Him so that others may see and hear of His goodness, may recognize that your faith makes a difference and that it can make a difference in their lives as well. And then turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Turn back with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. And I want to read you a passage that may be the most difficult passage in all of the New Testament. When I first read this passage, it stung me. It shook me. 
because it is difficult for us to process in our minds. Many of us, when we consider the person of Jesus Christ when He walked upon this earth, there is the position known as kenosis that God was full, or kenosis that God was fully God, yet fully man. And many of us in the evangelical conservative realm have difficulty with Him being a man and being fully man. And those in the liberal world sometimes may struggle with Him being fully God. But for most of us, it's not that we struggle with Him being fully God. It's that we struggle, struggle with Him really being fully man and that we can really understand and receive that. It just seems like He was so God that He really didn't feel what we felt. He really didn't experience what we experience. But this verse right here, this passage right here, lets us know that that's simply not the case. Speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 5, verse 7 in Hebrews, the writer tells us, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petition with loud cries and tears to the One who could save Him from death. He was heard because of His reverent submission. Although He was a Son, the Son of God, He learned obedience from what He suffered and was made perfect. Teleos, the Greek word that is used there, completed. He finished the task. And in His particular situation, He finished the task of the cross. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him. He learned submission. And although He was a son, He learned obedience from what He suffered and once and was made perfect. And He became the source of our eternal salvation for all who obey Him. The Bible tells us in Matthew 22:37, as it does in the book of Deuteronomy and two other times in the Gospels as well, that we shall love our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all of our mind. It's the greatest commandment that is given to us. But many of us probably struggle a little bit when God says, I want you to love with all that I am. We want to dissect that down a little bit too far, but the real truth of it is, is that God wants to love us in the physical, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, with everything that we are. Now, each of us here has a chronological age. You may be 14, you may be 25, you may be 45, you may be 95. We all have a chronological age. And if we could get your birth certificate, we could look at that birth certificate and it would clearly tell us how old you are, regardless of what you say. And we would know. So we all have a chronological age. That's a given. We also have a physical age. And now doctors and, and different medical uh, practitioners can tell us kind of what our physical age is. In other words, some of us physically, though we may be 40, we may have the body of a 50-year-old. We may have the health of a 55-year-old. Or we may have the health of a 35-year-old. So chronological doesn't always go with the physical. And we would all readily... Admit and accept that. I don't know if you'd accept it, but it's true. But not just is there not just a chronological age, not just is there a physical age, there's also an intellectual age. We know that to be true. Sometimes our children do real well in a subject, and our teachers may even say they're 
They're in second grade, but they're reading at a third grade level. Or they're doing mathematics at a fourth grade level. Or maybe they're a little behind. Or maybe you're like me and you are a little behind in some of your subjects. And you got held back. So, excuse me, I just had a therapy moment. <laughs> but seriously, we all have an intellectual age. And we've learned Scripture. And we have a scriptural intellect, so degree. And that's something we should develop. That's why Jesus said, love me with all of your heart, soul, and mind. So we have a chronological. We have a physical. We have an intellectual. We have an emotional. An emotional age. Sometimes you'll meet people who physically are sharp, intellectually are sharp, but they're emotionally very immature. And they seem to have been successful in a lot of areas of life, but particularly when it comes to social interaction and social relationships, because of emotional immaturity, they've just never really gotten there. They've never learned from the experiences of life. Maybe their parents were too protective and they continually protected them from any sources of consequences. They continually did their homework, and continually always took their side even when they were wrong, and they just never really emotionally developed and matured. It primarily comes from experiences and from our ability and willingness to learn from those experiences. If not, they'll just keep happening to us and we'll just keep being immature and people will just keep thinking, well, that person's pretty immature. But there's another our spiritual age. And can I say this? And this is kind of hard for us to accept. And remember that Jesus learned obedience. Recognize that Jesus learned physical. Jesus learned the intellectual. He studied to show himself approved as a workman that need not be ashamed, that rightly divided the Word of God and truth. He emotionally had experiences in life that were extremely difficult that he encountered. And he chose to learn and to grow from those experiences. That doesn't always equate spiritual growth, but you have to have those. You can't say, I'm a spiritual giant, but be an emotional infant or an intellectual, intellectual child. It is necessary for us to grow physically, emotionally, and intellectually. Spiritually, though, you cannot be a believer in Christ. You can be far from God and grow in those other areas but to grow in godliness requires that you have your perspective and your orientation completely changed. That's why Jesus said more than any other thing, any other quote we have in the Gospels, he who would seek to save his life would lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. James is writing to believers who probably were mature in most aspects. But now he's saying, here's the coup de grace. Here's what it means to really be like Jesus, turn with me back to the book of James, chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you encounter trials. Consider it. Now, that's an odd request. Consider. It's an accounting term. It means take into account. Recognize and evaluate the opportunity, pure joy, the opportunity. Consider the opportunity that you have now because of the trial that you're facing. 
It doesn't make all the pain go away. It doesn't answer all the questions. But for the believer, we consider the trial. We consider the situation. We consider the event, the painful situation that we're in, that God can use it. That's the difference between being godly and simply being emotionally mature. It's not that we've learned to deal with it. It's that we have learned to deal with it and we want God to use it. Consider it pure joy, my brother. Consider the opportunity that you've been given whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know there's the intellect, because you've learned, because you've studied, because you've learned from those experiences in your life that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, emotional maturity, those who can stick with it, who don't quit, who don't stop and don't cut short and keep having to learn the same lesson over and over and over. And he goes, and in your translation may put it this way, let perseverance, it must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. There's actually two different Greek words used there for mature and complete. And let me give you an illustration to understand it. Now, maturity means that you possess all the necessary components to deal with that situation, to live life and to make an impact. You possess them. You possess a level of godliness, of emotional maturity, of intellectual maturity. God has equipped you and you have somewhat developed yourself as a believer and as a mature person. And that's much like this banana right here. This banana is ready to be eaten. And some of you even like a little tang in your banana and in your taste. And this one's ready to be eaten. It's a little green, but all the components are there. It's developed. But you know what's happened to this one? It's had more time and experience. It's been sweetened. It's been bruised a little bit. And you can use this one in any capacity. You can just peel it and eat it, give it to your child, put it in a pie, whatever way you want to eat it. Both of them have the same basic nutritional value. This one just probably tastes a little better. It's a little sweeter. That's the difference between maturity and completion. Talos. It means you complete the process. You've persevered. You've hung in there. And you've not run. You've not simply tried to push it off on someone else. Or forget about it. You've dealt with the situation that you're in. You've dealt with the trial. And you've recognized and you've responded appropriately and responsibly as much as you could. But the next step is this. To be complete. Just as we talk about Christ being complete. Let God use this now. To minister to others. To bring Him glory. That's completion. You see, for the Christian, it's not enough for us to just be mature and to know stuff and know how to handle situations. We want to let God use the trials of our life. What about you this morning? Verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives it generously to all who lack wisdom. If you lack wisdom... Now, what is he talking about? He's, again, he's not talking about intellectual information. He's not simply talking about information in this instance. He's talking about the ability and the understanding to use your situation for His glory. That's the wisdom that He's describing. That's what He's talking about when He says, Ask God for wisdom. Continue to pour out and ask God, God, how do you want to use this in my life? God, I'm open 
I'm willing to share. I'm willing to let you use it. If you're looking to break me and discipline me so that I might be more conformed to your image, I want that to occur. I want to dive into your Word. I want to pray more fervently. I want to serve those who are less fortunate. God, I give me the wisdom. As you give that to me, I'm going to respond to it. Recognize that too. Wisdom is not just having the information. It's using the information that you've received. Many of us know the answers and we know what we should do. We simply don't do it. That's not wisdom. That's simply having knowledge. So it's more than having knowledge. It's exercising that knowledge and specifically for the grace and the cause of Christ. So what have we seen here? We've seen that we should consider and count what God has given us, the opportunity He's given us, that we should know and understand that He wants to use this in our lives, and we should submit to Him to let this be something that He uses for His riches and His glories. And then we ask. You know, many of you have probably been in those situations where they were simply difficult, and you thought, well, there's a wall in front of me. Maybe you're here today, and there's some wall in your life, and you're thinking, God, if you just get that wall out of the way, God, if you'd remove, why did you put that wall in front of my life? Why is it there? Why have you allowed that to come? Obviously, I can't do anything. I'm polarized. I'm stuck because there's a wall there. Let me give you some simple forms. And I realize your walls are probably, many of them are much more difficult than this. But I got to thinking about different walls that have been a part of our history, been a part of my history. And I think about nine years ago, I was in a great place, in a great church, but I just had that holy discontentment that God was stirring in my heart. And so I began to, to deal with that, and I said, all right, God, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll move. And I knew that God was wanting more. I knew He was talking to me about church planning, missions, but I thought, okay, you know how we make these deals? God, that just seems like a lot. That would be very hard. You have to raise money, and I don't want to do all that stuff. I just don't want to do it. Tell you what, God, here's what I'll do for you. I'll just go somewhere else. And so I started that, and we had a little conversation, went through the interview process, and got to the end of it. Matter of fact, thought it was going to happen, and I agreed, and I just remember thinking, well, let's just be a good geographical move, get a fresh outlook on life, be a little better. And God closed that door. So I went back and said, okay, I'm going to be content. And you know how God begins to just really speak in your spirit and your heart and begins to really stir me. And uh, I really was convinced, all right, I can stay here and this will be good and it'll be comfortable and it'll be easy. Or I can follow the challenge, the opportunity. I can consider the situation. And so as I began to do that, I said, okay, God. I mean, it got to that place where... I was really wholly discontent. I really knew God was moving to the point that I was willing to take a risk. I was willing to say, okay, God, I will plant a church. I'll go overseas. Whatever you want, I'm willing. So, wall number one, door closes. Discontent, door closes. Door number two, wall number two. Okay, now i got to go find money. i got to go find a place to go. I don't even know where I'm going. I don't even know what I'm doing. I have no, no clue. Unless you think I knew it, I really didn't. It's, it's pretty scary if you knew how ignorant I was. You probably wouldn't be sitting here today uh, if you knew how this thing began. And so go start that process and 
And um, first of all, I recognize, okay, we go through these classes, and they say, we'd like you to move to an area named Lantana. There's, uh, we want to put a church over there. We want to start some kind of work. A lot of people coming in. There'll be thousands of people by such and such time, so we'd love for you to go over there. So go raise all the money you can. God bless you, and get prepared to go over there. We think this is what you should do. I prayed and felt like that's what God wanted us to do. Get over there and find out, hey, we can't afford a house over here. God bless you. And uh, so I go back and I tell the guys that I'm praying with who are keeping account, I go, we can't afford a house. We're not going to be able to go over there. I'll never forget another guy named Ron. Ron Mo, he said, you know what? Why don't we pray and see what God does? Let's just pray and ask him. You, you feel like God put a burden? Yeah, I feel like a burden, but maybe I missed it. Maybe it was like Lantana Apartments or some other place. I think I, I missed that, that, you know, I think I missed that. I know there's a Lantana in South Texas, and uh, maybe, maybe that's where I'm supposed to go. And uh, he said, let's just pray and see what God does. He said, I said, well, I can tell you right now, I can't afford a house. Unless y'all are going to give me some money. I, I can't afford a house over there. He said, well, what do you need? He said, he said let's just pray and see. And uh, so we started talking about it. And, and uh, some guy in the, in the group says, you know, you know how you always get these. They go, hey, I got a friend who knows David Weekly. Would you like me to talk to him and see if he'll help you out? I go, yeah, why don't, you, uh, why don't your friend talk to David Weekly? Yeah, that will be good. So go ahead and do that. So in the meantime, I find a realtor. We're talking about our house, and this is right after 9-11. So here's my house here. Uh, how much are you going to get for it? And he goes, you can get this much. He goes, I go, well, we need to get a lot more than that. And he goes, well, the market's not good right now. 9-11 just happened. People aren't buying a house. Well, go ahead and put it for, you know, about, uh, thir- I think it was like 15, 20% more. He goes, you're never going to get that. I go, well, we don't have any choice. We've got to get this. So guess what? Our house sells in six days for that amount. We still have a little ways to go. A week later, I'm driving down the road. I get a call. Will you hold for David Weekly? I like run off the road, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> I get on there, and I mumble through, and they were doing this and that, and going to start in a church, and I have a wife. And I'm, I mean, I'm just kind of going through, and I said, is there any way you can help us? He said, I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll try to knock off 10% off anything you can work out. You know what ended up happening is we basically had the same house payment after God did all those things as we had... Uh, living over in Carrollton, our first little starter house. God did that. It was a wall. And when I saw that wall, I said, okay, that's it. That was my first thought. And thank God I had godly accountability. It was a wall. It was really an opportunity. And we decided to come over here and move over here. We're going to use the school. Well, guess what? The school's not ready. We don't have a place to meet. So I said, let's meet in a home. Okay, we're going to have to meet in the home. I think this is really bad. But what I don't realize is you only got 15 people, and it would look like a BB in the American Airlines Center uh, with 15 people inside of school. You know what I mean? And so it ended up being the best thing for us because you put 15 people in the living room. Hey, that looks like a lot of people here. <laughs> 15 in our living room. That was they're bursting at the seams here. So God used that and enabled us to grow a little bit and get some money that we didn't have that I didn't have enough sense to know that we needed. And then you know the story. I shared with you last year or last week. And then after a year, hey, you're going to have to leave. Why we got to leave? Because your year's up. So we find ourselves in another school in Briar Hill, over in Highland Village, and we began to grow. And we tripled, and, and God just began to really use that. And we had enough, I had enough sense this time to say, hey, they said, you know what? You only get two years. I asked, how long we get? Well, you get two years, unless you have land and a plan. Then we'll give you three. So we began to work, and we never would have done that and worked that hard if we hadn't had that barrier in front of us. And you know the story. God supplied for us. 
And then, uh, you know, after time after time, then we get ready to find land and time after time, wall after wall. Can't come here. Can't go there. The city doesn't want you here. This ordinance, that, that. Never looking over here. And then God has something better, far beyond what we could have hoped or imagined. And God provided this property in a miraculous way, as I shared with you last week. And we've got to have the money and look like a wall. God allowed us to overcome it. Even when we got here to this, the city said, look, you're going to have to live at this standard right here. You're going to have to build a building to this standard, which is higher than I'd ever thought. You know, I'm thinking, let's go get a tin building and get it up there. And they said, no, actually, we designated this about a year ago as a Santa Corridor, and you're going to have to do a really nice building. That's how we got it. People go, oh, that was really good of you. No, it's what the city demanded. And that's why you have such a nice place here today. It looked like a wall, but God provided an opportunity Hey, what wall are you up against today? Or you look at it and think it's impossible. I can't move on. God has an opportunity there. He has a story that He wants you to share with others at some point. If you will take that step of faith and move forward according to His riches and glory, not what you will get out of it, not how you can get around it. He wants to mature you and complete you. Don't stop. Perseverance means continue on the path and trusting. It may take days, weeks, years. But let God mature you and complete you that you may be perfect, lacking in nothing. So He may complete the task.